Our scripture reading from today is from Luke 7. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one do you think will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. This woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. It's a voice check. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Fred Atkins. I'm the elder elder. Whatever that, oh, I see. It's an H thing. Oh, I see. Uh, if you're meeting with us for the first time, you are so welcome. We are the body of Christ, and all are welcome to the family. Um, let's pray. Lord, I pray you will enlighten our minds and revive our hearts. May your Holy Spirit reveal the truths that make us fall in deeper love with our Savior and a desire to worship him with abandoned zeal. I confess that more of my own shame has surfaced in the study of your word. 
May we bring ourselves to you without any hesitancy and with childlike wonder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is paper. And James and Keith come up with uh, electronic stuff. So uh, I was going to do that. But um, Siri and I are having some trouble. I don't know what's wrong with her. But first of all, uh, she didn't help me with the spelling at all. Second of all, this New York accent, I don't know what she thought I was saying. <laughs> but you had to see the stuff that came out. So being a elder elder, I did what anyone does with somebody with an attitude. I put Siri and I put her in timeout. Many years ago, um, I was watching Oprah. And at the end of the segment of Oprah, there was a fellow who um, worked in a hospice. And Oprah asked, uh, when people are dying, what's on their mind? What are their concerns? And he said, um, regardless of whether they have faith or no faith, there were two themes that came up. One theme was, have I been loved? And the other theme was, have I loved well? Those were the two major themes. And we are about to enter into a love story now that's quite different from outside. It's not the romance novel. It's not the stuff we see on TV. It's not a soap opera. But it's a love story between an immoral woman and an itinerant rabbi. It's a story between an outcast of society and an outcast from the religious establishment. It is a love story between a sinner and a forgiving God. It is a love story between you and I and our Savior. James has introduced this theme of legacy and we are considering how God has used various people in the Bible to learn from them so that we can be equipped to live out this life. Today we're going to look at the legacy of an outcast. But before I begin, I'm going to hammer one theme over and over and over again. Because I believe it is a key to kingdom living. And the theme is, forgiven much results in loving much. Forgiving much results in loving much. An outcast can be defined as a person who has been rejected by society or by people, uh, a pariah, a reject, uh, an outsider, a leper, certainly somebody you wouldn't take home. Have you ever felt like an outcast? Have you ever felt rejected or shunned or sneered at? Have you been judged? Have you been excluded from a group of people where the welcome sign was taken away and you were not wanted? You are not welcome. How did it feel to be an outcast? Groucho Marx, one of Marx brothers, said something, like they were a comedian act, and said something I thought had tremendous power to it. And he said, I wouldn't join a club that accepted me as a member, 
I wouldn't join a club because if they accepted me as a member, their standards were too low. You see, what he was revealing in a humorous way was the shame that we all carry with us. And that shame began in the garden. That shame began with Adam and Eve. Even today, just like in Adam and Eve, when we hear God calling us, mm, we hide. There's fears in us because we are full of shame and naked. In today's scripture reading, there were three main characters, the Pharisee, the outcast, and Christ. We could almost call this, guess who's coming to dinner? But let's take a look at scripture for a minute. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal, so Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. You see, the Pharisee invited Jesus, but you see, Jesus was getting to be well-loved by the people and not so much by the Pharisees because Christ had the ability to reveal the hypocrisy and the hard-heartedness of the established church. You see, he's invited to the Pharisee's home, but most likely to be interrogated, investigated, and to find some incriminating evidence that can be used to charge him with the crime of blasphemy, the crime against God. This is a hostile environment. We read on in the story. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought an alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt before him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell at his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This immoral woman, this outcast, was determined, whatever the cost, was to connect with Jesus. Part of her legacy is whatever you need to do, stay connected with Christ. She knew she would be there. She was going to do it. Word in the village was that that rabbi was going to be at that Pharisee's house and she said, I'm coming and nothing, nothing is going to stop me. Part of her legacy is that she had the courage to enter into a hostile environment. Her eyes and her mind were fixated on Christ. She proclaimed by her actions that Jesus is bigger than any circumstances. He is bigger than all those who would judge her and condemn her. Jesus is bigger than all of those who would come against her humanity. Your humanity, my humanity. He is bigger than all the choices that you and I have made in our past that were sinful and regretful. He is bigger than our emotions, our lies, and deceptions that tell her, that tell you, that tell me to stay safe in familiar surroundings and do not venture out in faith in Christ. But there is a power struggle here. As revealed in Mark 3.27, Christ shows us, reveals this power struggle. Christ described his power to overcome the enemy. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods, Christ says. Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up 
and then plunder his house. Our outcast now belongs to Christ and no one else. She goes to the strongest supernatural being, our Christ, and in him, she, you and I, are overcomers. Part of her legacy was that she worshipped Christ with her weeping, her tears, her total submission to him, her humility. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary definition of worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Her actions and behaviors completed this definition. True worship is defined as we prioritize God in our life. Her legacy is freedom from the shackles of shame, condemnation, and judgment. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And again, he says, and the truth, Christ, will set you free. Will set her free, will set you free. Set me free. We read again. When the Pharisee was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, Aha, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And if I was there, he would say, He's a sinner. And if you were there, he would say, You're a sinner. See, the Pharisees belonged to a very close knit group. There weren't many of them, about a thousand or so, a couple of thousand. But they were guardians of the law. They were the law keepers. The people who set the standards that, that people had to adhere to. They were self-righteous. They were a tight group. And they were powerful. They had already rendered a verdict on Christ that he was a blasphemer. Because he had declared, Christ had declared that he could save and forgive sins. We knew in chapter 5, a couple of chapters before this, that when Christ was talking to a paralyzed man, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then what does this man think he is? The Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to each other, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They hated him because of his message. Jesus had exposed their self-righteousness, the hardness of their hearts. They wanted to get rid of him as soon as possible. He was a mocked man. But before we stomp all over this Pharisee, let us take a moment of self-inventory. Have you ever judged and condemned another person? Have you ever compared yourself to another one who according to you is more sinful? I know I have. I've been an outright Pharisee, full of judgment. I lived on a sailboat for a year. And during that time, I became a Christian. And also during that time, my immune system was compromised and I had this overall body itching illness. And I went to many doctors here in the city. 
And I ended up at one point at New York University Medical Center. And I walked into the dermatology department looking for help. And I walked in, doctor was there, took a look at my body, and there was on my foot this black, ugly thing. He looked at it. I'll be right back. He goes out. Five or six of them come in. And then they start asking me personal questions. Like, um, how's your sex life? How weird can this get? And finally, a senior doctor comes over and takes a look at this blister and he moves it in such a way that, that it shows and he says to the doctors, oh, it's only a blood blister. Whoosh. They all left. You see, this was the early 80s and the onset of the AIDS epidemic. I was scared. We did not know even how this was transferred. As the word got out that those who were infected by this plague were drug addicts and homosexuals, my self-righteous, fearful, being a Pharisee mindset kicked in. I judged and condemned both of these groups of people. My fears and my judgment twisted my thinking. And I came to the conclusion that they got what they deserved. I murdered them in my heart. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I confessed and repented of my wicked self-righteousness. I realized I missed the opportunity of going to the hospice and bringing care and kindness to them. But it doesn't have to be, have to be that dramatic. Several years ago, I bought a car from a next-door neighbor that I knew as a neighbor. Not really as a friend, but a neighbor. And because he was kind of a mechanic and he gave me this car and sold me this car and said, it's in good condition, I never put it up on the lift. Paid him the money, sight unseen, got the car, and what he described and what was actually there was a world of difference. And my heart turned dark. I wanted revenge. I felt that I was betrayed. My trust was broken. There was no loyalty there, and I could feel this festering in my heart. I knew I couldn't stay there. I couldn't be so self-justified. But, 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 Lord, forgive me. And it took a while for me to untangle this, even to confess it before the Lord. And I became free. Praise God. But even something minor, I was at the gym. And this guy, I don't know, I took it as disrespect, but it was a minor thing. But that minor hook, got me in the heart. Not a big, little. But I knew that that could be an abscess. And I said, Lord, change me. Change my heart. 
and he did. How does this kind of thinking ring true with you? See, if we're not forgiven a great deal, then we're not going to love a great deal. Let's continue. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher. Simon replied, go ahead. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Have you ever had a debt canceled, paid by someone else? Did someone else take the blame for an action that you did and you got off scot-free? The conversation continues. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You see, her tears were overflowing from the heart that had been restored. Forgiven much, love much. Later on, Christ is going to wash the disciples' feet and she's washing his feet. Christ continues, you didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Now, I think a door is going to open up for us to enter into almost the supernatural. And it's the door, how do we love unconditionally? How do we love as Christ stated in the great commandment? Look at this. I, and, he, and, and Christ speaks to the Simon and says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. That's the theme. She wasn't doing it to get the checks off. She was doing it as a response of being forgiven. The men at the table said to themselves, who does he think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Being forgiven much results in loving much. And the freedom is to know Christ and to be set free to express your love to him and others. Being forgiven much results in loving much and the freedom to have an uninhibited expression of gratitude and show love with an unlimited generosity. Being forgiven much results in loving much and the freedom to be submitted, a servant, and demonstrate our love to Christ with all our heart and with all of our strength. Being forgiven much results in loving much and the freedom from internal and external voices that bring judgment and condemnation. Being 
forgiven much results in loving much and the freedom to believe what the scriptures promise. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But we stand before a holy God. We stand before a, a, a standard that is supernatural because Christ shares with us in Matthew about the, the, the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do this? What is the secret to the power to love? Christ states it in verse 47. Again, he says to Simon, I tell you, her sins, your sins, my sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me great love. We are able in that forgiveness to begin to show God great love. But a person who's forgiven little Shows little. So where do we go from here? How does this apply to you and me today? Christ reveals the depth of our sin. How does he do that? In Matthew 5, 21, 22. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. That means that if we call someone an idiot, we're in danger of being brought before the high council. And if we curse someone, we're in danger of fires of hell. I murdered that group of people. I murdered my neighbor. It's an impossible standard. I find myself struggling with these truths. You see, sin is the most lethal poison. Just touching it kills us. There is no little death from sin. I, I can't compare your sins with my sins. Because dead is dead. For the wages of sin is death, but the, but the free gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How did this impact of what we are talking about in the sense of, of forgiven much, love much, how did this impact the early church? Peter speaks. People of Israel, listen. God publicly publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth for doing wonderful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But you follow God's prearranged plan. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and murdered him. How many days ago at the Tenebrae service did we hear crucify? Crucify him. Crucify him. These are those people. 
Peter's words convicted them deeply. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must turn away from your sins and turn to God. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church about 3,000 in all. He or she who is forgiven much, loves much, the church, the beginning church, the church in Acts was full of repentant murderers. The church was on fire. May we all be convicted by the Holy Spirit and confess from the depths of our hearts to Christ and be forgiven. Revival starts with the individual hearts, minds, and souls responding to the gift of the cross and the forgiveness that flows from our risen Savior. Christ doesn't want to get you. He wants to embrace you. Because of the cross of Christ, we are not condemned. We are celebrated. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so we can repent, receive God's forgiveness, and love outrageously. Forgiven much, we love much. Paul gets this big time. In A.D. 56, Paul said, I am the least of all apostles. In A.D. 60, Paul confessed, I am the least of all believers. And then in A.D. 64, Paul makes the statement, I am the greatest of all sinners. Paul realizes the greater the sin, the more we need forgiveness. The more forgiveness from Christ, we get a deeper realization of the power of the cross over sin. The more we respond to Christ with love and awestruck gratitude, for he loved us first. The greater the realization of our sins, the more wonderful his never-ending, all-encompassing, freedom-making forgiveness creates in you and me a deepening love for Christ and therefore for each other. Forgiven much, loves much. C.S. Lewis, the closer we get to the light, the more dirt you can see on the shirt. I want to, for a moment, just reinforce our identity in Christ from Ephesians. How we, are, how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. All of the blessings from heaven come down to us because of Jesus. That's our identity. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Because of the cross and because of the blood of Christ, we are made holy. His unchanging plan was always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself by Jesus Christ and that gives him great pleasure. He celebrates that we are his adopted sons and daughters and he gives God pleasure. That's who we are. 
So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. It's full of kindness towards us. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. In Christ, we please God. We are blessed by God. We are chosen by God. We are adopted by God and we are forgiven by God. That's our identity. Don't allow anything of your thinking that you cannot go to God, to Christ, with anything in your life. Because Scripture says nothing is going to separate you from Him. Oh, but, but, but there's no buts. But you don't know. But I know. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't. Our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus When we hear God's voice, when we are convicted, or we know by scripture that somehow we've stepped over here and become more sinful than we even realized, that the depths of our sin is controlling our heart and our mind, our judgment, our, our, our shame, and he calls out to us, do not hide. Because he will cover your shame and my shame. In Hebrews 4, that is why we have a high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly. <laughs> Strut your stuff. Walk boldly. See, when we're forgiven much, we, we, our hearts are so changed. We are free. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations we do, and he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. As we acknowledge our sin, confess it, repent. And Jesus is faithful to forgive us, and through the forgiveness of Christ, we can love much. Then let us take this journey with our Savior, guided by his Holy Spirit, to be convicted of unconfessed sin. Bring this heartbreak to the cross of Christ. Lay it down as the outcast and receive his never-ending forgiveness. Be equipped and empowered by his mercy and grace to love like never before. Because Christ sets us free. We are no longer an outcast. We are adopted. We are his precious sons and daughters. At some point, be still before God. Let whatever it is that he 
will convict you of and then bring it to the cross. For when you are forgiven much, it opens up your ability to love much. We have been given much, therefore we are able to love much. Praise God. just a moment we're going to come to the table but to set that up I was thinking about the message that Fred just